Hi, and welcome to the Young Life Midlands podcast. This is talk number two from Tom Job, taken from Young Life Family Camp. Thankfully, we have this one recorded, so the sound will be much, much better. I'll put a link to his sermons in the show notes so you can find much more of Tom Job. So hope you enjoy. Awesome. So, but he said, like, have you ever wondered who was the first person to, who decided that they should put a piece of shag carpet on the lid of their toilet? Like, you know, he's, like, he's kind of like, maybe like there's going to be so many people at our Christmas party that somebody's got to stand on the toilet. But he said, like, so he said, okay, so picture this, like you're somebody, an alien comes from like another solar system and they're trying to talk to like, find out who's the leader. And you see two life forms walking towards you, a human and a dog. One of them poops on the sidewalk and the other one picks it up and puts it in a plastic bag and carries it. Who do you think is in charge of that situation? <laughs> but the, so the first time he ever did, like he ever did his stand-up uh, comedy routine, he got all of his jokes and put them in categories. Like he had some jokes about buying new shoes and he had some jokes about airline food, and he had some jokes about a local TV meteorologist. But when he got up there, he, he was so scared that he couldn't remember any of his jokes. He could just remember the categories. So he just said them. He just said, buying new shoes, airline food, and TV meteorologist. And he just walked off. But it was because, like, if you're trying, when you're, tr- I mean, you could, it's easy when you're trying to do something um, difficult, then it becomes easier to fail. Like infallibility is the easiest thing in the world. Just don't do anything. Like if, don't try anything. But if you try to do something important, then you're raising the risk that you're gonna bomb at it or you know you're gonna flop. Like Michelangelo when he painted. Um, you know, if he had painted the Sistine Chapel floor, I mean, it wouldn't have been as difficult, but it wouldn't have been as cool, you know? So when you try to do a difficult thing, it's easier to fail. So like Peter, the disciple of Jesus, when Jesus had put into his heart, like the seed of a thought that you could be, I mean, he gave him a name, like his name was Simon and he called him rock like Peter you could be a completely unique person I remember reading somewhere that like uh, in 18 like 48 the number of American boys when they were born who were named Peter was like one out of 50 and then in 1948 it was one in 39 and today it's like one in 42 but there's no record in any in biblical times of that name ever being used with anyone. It's like it was like a completely unique name that Jesus made up for Peter. It's just kind of like, you know, I you could be like a completely unique person if you follow me. And so he had made the decision to follow Jesus and it wasn't easy to do. Like Jesus was just walking everywhere. So you would, you know, they would sleep in fields and sleep on rocks and wake up wet, you know, and it was just, it was tough, but he had decided to do this thing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when Frodo said, "Um, I wish the ring had never come to me. And Gandalf said, 
it's not for us to decide these things, but what we're gonna do with the time given. And I'm like, yeah, it was. I mean, he was the one who said, I'll take it. I'll take the ring. I mean, he could have said, I'm not touching that thing. I, I mean, it makes all your hair fall out and you wind up wearing a diaper and calling everybody precious. I'm not, do, I'm not doing it. You know, so, um, so Peter decided, you know, that that he was just gonna that he was gonna follow Jesus and uh, and do a, a super difficult thing, and then you know one night on the night that Jesus was arrested around a campfire, he uh, he betrayed his best friend and he denied God and he shocked himself. And he wouldn't have done any of those things if he had just stayed home, you know, and not tried to do it. And like when Jesus said, leave your jobs and follow me, he could have said, hey, y'all go on. And, uh, you know, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. But in the meantime, I'm just going to hang right, right here, you know. But uh, when you try to do a difficult thing, you raise the risk that you're gonna be a flunk, you're gonna flunk it, flop, and, and just, and fail. And you wind up learning things about yourself. It's kind of like, like when people get married and, uh, you know, and it's harder than people think it is. And I'm, one guy said, I thought I was gonna find out like all kinds of horrible things about her after we got married. And he said, I found out all kinds of, you know, horrible things about myself, you know? And they go into it, like, so, like, I've done, like, a million weddings, and there's, weddings are so weird. Cause, like, so a wedding is different. When people, weddings are, I remember this one guy saying there was a wedding that these, these, this couple asked this pastor to do their wedding, and he didn't really know them. And so, and he said, okay, do you want the contemporary or the traditional service? And they said, we want the contemporary service. So on the day of their wedding, it was pouring down rain. So the groom rolled his pants legs up because he didn't want them to get wet and he forgot about them. So when they came up to the front of the church, you know, and they were getting ready to take their vows and he had his pants rolled up. So the pastor said, pull your pants down. And he said, what? And he said, pull your pants down. And he just looked at him and said, just go with the traditional service, you know, but, um, but you know, so like when people, so what a wedding is, a wedding is, um, it's not, a wedding is not where, a wedding is where people are, what a wedding is, is two people, they're taking vows. And vows are different than promises, because when you're promising something, like you're saying, um, I promise to do something, you know, that you've done before. Like, I promise to get my books back into the library on the 13th or whatever. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But you've done it before, and you can do it. But a vow is when you're promising to do something that you've never done. Like, you're promising to love someone and to encourage them and to serve them and to be faithful to them until one or both of you is dead. And you've never done that. And so, but a vow is like swearing, like you're bringing God into it. You're saying like, by God, like by the power of God, of Jesus who lives inside of me, I'm gonna do this. But, you know, usually people, find out that it's more difficult than they thought. But on what, I mean, on the wedding day, I mean, they would promise each other anything. I mean, the way they're, um, you know, they're all looking so good and everything, they'd promise anything. 
this is the way, if I was the king of the forest, this is the way all weddings would be. Nobody knows the day or the time of the wedding except the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. Like the groom doesn't know, the bride doesn't know. And then on the day of the wedding, at like 3.15 in the morning, the groomsmen go to his house and they wake him up. He can't get out of his pajamas. He can't comb his hair. He can't brush his teeth. They take her to her house. When they get there, the bridesmaids wake her up at like, you know, 3.40 in the morning. She can't brush her hair, put on any makeup, brush her teeth, get out of her PJs. You stand them face to face so that they can smell each other's breath. And then you play a recording of a baby screaming. And you're like, are you ready to do this? Because this is what it's going to be, you know. But then, so... But it's kind of a risky thing, like you're taking a risk and you're doing a difficult thing. And then you, but you find out stuff about yourself. Like you can, I mean, you know, people get married, they find out how, you know, how selfish they are. You know, the, I remember one woman, this guy was saying like, the thing that she, I mean, it really, it's a little thing, but it drove her crazy that he wouldn't fill up the ice trays, you know, fill them back up, he just left them out. And he knew she wanted him to do it, but he just didn't do it. And then she said, so, and then one day she said, do you know what? You know that thing where you promised me you would love me like forever and ever until the end of time? He said, yeah. She said, do you still believe that? He said, yes. She said, you know what? I don't really need that. I just need you to love me for seven seconds more than you actually do. You know, but, um, and you know, like being a parent, like it's a risky thing because, it makes it easy to fail. And you have that day where you, you tell your kid, you know, shut up, would you shut up? And then, and you totally remember the day your dad said that to you and you, and you swore, I will never say that to my kid. And you do. And you realize, you know, I'm becoming my dad. My, um, you know, we were, um, Gosh, we raised our kids in, in Italy, Tina and I. We lived over there for uh, 11 years just starting churches. And, you know, we knew a lot of missionaries. And it's a difficult thing to do. It's a risky thing to do because you're trying to do something really, really difficult. But it makes the possibility of you failing, I mean, super high. So I've known missionaries to, you know, their marriages fall apart, to have affairs, to almost get in fistfights with each other which I really don't think those things would have happened if they had just stayed home and not tried to do something so difficult and find, I mean, there was one guy I remember, um, he had been over there maybe seven or eight months or something like that. And Italians are different. Like you, you have to kind of figure out how they do, but like they don't make lines like at anywhere. So it's kind of a blob, but just kind of a glob of people. But there's a system to it if you figure it out. But he was so, I mean, he was so irritated by the fact that they didn't stand in line like you're supposed to, like Americans do. And then, and he just, so there was, he was at the bank, at the line at the bank, but it was kind of a, just a blob. And somebody was kind of poking him because it can be a little pushy. And he just threw an elbow like that, and he laid out an 83-year-old woman in the floor of the bank. And he was just like, I think I might just need to go, go home, you know? I mean, I've known, like, young life leaders who are trying to do something super, super difficult. And, 
you know, it, it, is, it is so tough what they do. At one time, I was talking to a group of, it was like Young Life regional directors of the, of the southeastern United States. And I was talking to the, like the people that are over states. And I was talking to one of them. And I said, uh, I asked him, I said, are you a volunteer Young Life leader in your area? And he said, it's funny you should ask me that. Because he said, I actually haven't done that in 10 years. And this year I decided I need to get back in touch with what it means to be a young life leader. So I volunteered at my school. I said, how'd it go? He said, the first two times I went to the school, I got out of my car. I walked into the school building. I turned around and walked to my car and drove away and cried. He said, it's the scariest thing I, I have ever done. And I forgot how scary it is. And it's super, super tough. And they're trying to do a difficult thing. But then I've also known young life leaders who, you know, who get to a point where they say, today, and maybe it's only today, but I hate high school kids, really do. <laughs> or I lie about contact work that I didn't really do. And I'm a liar, you know? I didn't know I was a liar, but now I know I am one. And I mean, just being a kid, they used to do a thing at Young Life camps that they don't really do anymore, which, I mean, it was, it's, it, it was a little too intense, but it was called Post Secrets, where they would have kids write anonymous, like, secrets about themselves that nobody knew. You didn't sign it or anything. And some of them were ridiculous, and some of them were stupid, and some of them were funny, but a lot of them were super, super like sad and they would make a video and show it during the week with music you know of these kids secrets and a lot of them had to do with um you know dad I my dad doesn't love me he hits me um I wish I wish my dad would stop living his life through me it's what I hate the most I wish my dad would see me for who I am and not for who I didn't become but then a lot of them are more like, I'm just trying to be a kid. I'm just trying to be out there. Like one kid wrote, I am not my friend's first choice. Um, another kid wrote, I give myself to boys to get them to like me, and they never do. One girl wrote, drinking will not make me a virgin again. You know, so when you try to do a difficult thing and then you, you know, you fail in a way you didn't anticipate and you wouldn't have done it if you had just stayed home and not tried to do something that's tough. But what do you do when, like Peter, like you meet the real you? What do you do when you find out who you really are and you didn't know it? It's confusing and it's a disorienting moment. But there is someone who would like to explain it to you. And that person is Satan. I mean, you know, he's, he's just the worst. It's like he's the accuser of the brethren. He just throws it in your face. Like you call yourself like somebody's mate. You call yourself a parent. You call yourself a follower of Jesus? You're a total mess. You know, so on the night, just hours before this happened, before Peter, like, said things that he never thought he would say, when they were having their last meal together, in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus said, 
He said to Peter, he said, um, Simon. He said, Simon, Simon. Whenever Jesus says your name two times, it's usually not very good. Martha, Martha. You know, Simon, Simon. He said, Satan has asked permission. He always has to ask permission. Um, He's not allowed to do anything that Jesus doesn't permit him to do. But it says, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Um, And biblical scholars tell us that what that, it's referring to like the wheat harvest, like the third week of April till about the middle of June, the, like the, with the stalks of wheat, when they were ready, first they would chop them and then they would like crunch them, like with, make like oxen walk on them or drag their like cartwheels over them and then stomp them and then pitch them up in the air. And if Jesus said um, to Peter, Satan has asked permission to chop you and to crunch you and to stomp you and to pitch you. And I said, okay. And Peter's like, what? You said, okay. (laughs) And the reason is because like a kernel of wheat has a seed in it and the seed is what you use to make bread, to make other people strong. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing in order for you to have bread for someone, for you to be a person who can have something to give that can make people strong, the same thing that happens to wheat has to happen to you. So like the kernel of of wheat, like the seed, the seed has a protective shell around it. And in order to get to like the, the wheat seed, that shell has to be broken and it has to be crushed, the protective outside. And then you throw it all up in the air and it blows away. And you and I have a protective shell around us. Um, Inside of us, there is a seed. Peter says it's the message of Jesus. It's our faith. It's what we believe about Jesus, that he loves me, that he gave himself for me. And that's inside of there. But around it is a protective shell. It's it's my self-image of myself. It's the person that I want other people to think I am. It's the person that I want to think I am. But it's not the person that I actually am. It's, um, it's, it's my Facebook me. You know, it's like, the, it's like that, guy, that person that people out there put out on Facebook, like when it's their, you know, anniversary and some lady, you know, says, happy anniversary, Ralph. You're the greatest guy I've ever, you're just the greatest husband in the history of the world. I just like love you so much. I just can't wait till you get home tonight. You know, and it's like, okay, so, um, you know, there's like some Russian over there going, why do they say this stuff? Like why, you know, but it's like, I mean, why do I have to know that? Like why do, just say it to Ralph. I don't have to know about it. But it's like, 
what's that all about? Like, just what an awesome marriage you have. But they never put the part where, like, Ralph, you are the biggest jerk I know. Like, I totally hate you today so much. You know, they don't ever put that. It's just, but it's, you know, it's, your, it's the Instagram me. It's the, the hashtag blessed me. It's my, you know, it's my, the digitally engineered me. It's what one person calls my digital double. It's the person that I want everybody to think I am. It's the person that I want to think I am, but I'm not. And then I have a moment, or then I have a day when all of that is broken. And I find out who I really am. And it's not the person that I thought I was. And all I have is seed. All I have is the message of Jesus. And I'm at a place where it has to be true for me because I found out I'm not the person that I thought. And you say to him, could you love this? Could you love me? And then you find out that's the person that he's loved the entire time. He doesn't love the person that you think you are. He doesn't love the person that you want other people to think you are. He doesn't love your self-image of yourself. He loves you. He loves who you really are, who you didn't know you were. He loves the you that you kind of hate. He loves the real you. Jesus doesn't love um, He doesn't love everyone. He doesn't love Santa Claus. He doesn't love Batman. He doesn't love the Easter Bunny. He doesn't love people who don't actually exist. And he doesn't love the person that I think I am. He loves the person that I really am. And on the day I'm super disappointed in myself, He's never disappointed in me. He knew it the whole time. He knew it was coming. He died for that. He loves me. He loves me. You know, there's a place where um, that same night in John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in me. I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come and get you, and I'm going to take you home. You know, when, when Jesus said that, like when John wrote that, that, that whole number thing, like John 14, verse 1, John didn't write that. I mean, those, things, those numbers were added like centuries later. Like Jesus didn't say, 14, 1, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, and people are like, <laughs> why does he always do that numbers thing where he's always saying numbers? But um, I don't know, maybe somebody does know, but I don't know if anybody knows the last verse of chapter 13, um, chapter 13, verse 38, which if you didn't have the numbers there, you'd read right through. It's where Peter said, if everybody denies you, I will never deny you. I will give my life for you. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times, but don't let your heart be troubled. 
I know you believe in God. I know you believe in me. It's okay. I know all about it. I know you better than you love than you know yourself. And I love you. Wow. So when you get to that place and all you have is seed, all you have is the message of Jesus. And it has to be true because you're finding out who you are. That's when you got something you can make bread out of. That's when you've got something that you can uh, use to help other people get strong. <sighs> it's how you get in the story. You know, uh, last year I went to um, a Capernaum club in Knoxville. Capernaum is like Young Life for Kids with Disabilities, and it was like about 50 high school kids uh, with disabilities and 50 leaders. There's like a leader for every kid. And it was so awesome. They did a, they played a, they did a, the game was like musical chairs, but like they had like eight chairs and they picked eight kids and they never took a chair away. You know, they just go around and they would all find a chair. It was awesome. And then they would go around again and they all had a chair and they just thought it was so cool. And it ends up with a big dance party, but they do the talk at the beginning because their attention span's not so great. And, uh, uh, and there was a girl named Kathleen was doing the talk about the Luke 15 and the shepherd who had 100 sheep and he lost one. And she said, you know, you think about that little sheep out there lost. Does anybody ever feel lost? And a girl said as loud as she could, I feel lost all the time. And there was a girl named Katie who, a Down syndrome girl, and she was kind of famous because she had 10,000 marbles and she collected them and everybody knew it and so Kathleen said just called her out and said Katie how many marbles do you have and she said 10,000 and she said do you love all your marbles and she said yes and then she leaned over to her leader I was sitting right behind her and she said now I'm in the story and I was like oh yeah you are oh, this is how you get in the story I, I remember a woman who was a big, she was a, a big women's ministry leader in a gigantic church. Um, I think it was in Texas. And, um, and she was going, she was, um, so she had this huge ministry and she was uh, going, she was going to counseling and she was talking to her counselor and, uh, and she said, you know what? I had a thought. I'm, I think that I might have a drinking problem. And her counselor said, Really? why do you say that? And she said, well, how much do you drink? And she said, well, I have, I have one glass of wine every night. My doctor said it would be good for my heart. She said, a glass of wine a night? It's not really a problem. Um, she said, uh, how big is this glass? And she said, well, I use a 42-ounce big gulp cup that I got at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> and she said, oh, oh, okay. Well, that might be a thing, but anyway, she went, and I just drink it all in one thing, so the next, when she came for the next session, um, the counselor had seven glasses of wine, and she said, Susan, this is a glass of wine. It's six ounces. When you drink out of that big gulp cup, that plastic big gulp cup, you're drinking seven of these. You probably do have a drinking problem, but, um, but you're a child of God. He knows all about this. And uh, when you're ready, he's going to help you. But he loves you. And she pulled out a crystal, big crystal goblet 
with a rim of gold around it. And she said, if you're going to keep drinking this much every night, as a daughter of the king, I want you to drink it out of this goblet instead of a big gulp cup because you're his and he loves you. Even if you're learning stuff about yourself, he knew it all along. He doesn't love who you think you are. He loves who you really are. So thanks, guys. Well, thanks for listening to talk number two from Tom Job taking at Young Life Family Camp. Look forward to number three coming on up.